the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am Headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you here every Saturday evening on AM 1280, The Patriot. And of course, I'm joined in studio once again here with the producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durkin. And a good evening to you, Rebecca. I'm liking this schedule a lot better than yeah, the other Yeah, there one. we go. There we go. Yes, it's been nice. This is our third show on The Patriot after doing about 100 shows uh, out of KLBB in Stillwater. Yes. And we are very excited for this change and excited for our new listening audience to get to know us. So tonight is our really our first real show. The last two shows, we have been introducing our listeners to some past podcasts and some past conversations. And so we're looking forward to being able to move on to something that is current. And we're going to be talking about a Minnesota investigation in which 43 of the state's school districts and charters are under the watchful eye of the Minnesota Department of Human Rights for possibly violating the state's Human Rights Act. That's right, Rebecca. According to MinPost, Human Rights Commissioner Kevin Lindsay is hopeful that all the districts under investigation will enter into agreements with the departments to, as he says, work toward reducing discipline disparities that disproportionately impact students of color, end of quote. The Department of Human Rights says they've identified patterns of discipline disparities over a five-year period, suggesting that discriminatory discipline practices are in play. And so the bottom line is work in agreement with the department or face legal action from the state. Mm -hmm. And we can all agree that as parents, we want to see each and every student treated with dignity and respect and not looked upon more favorably over other students, regardless of race, religion or gender. With that in mind, there are several angles in play that are contributing to the tension when it comes to issues of disciplinary action in our state schools. Tonight, we will expound on what has just been mentioned. We will also listen to the results of research that point to the problem going much deeper than just the classroom. Joining us by telephone to discuss is Catherine Kirsten. Catherine is a writer, an attorney, a senior policy fellow, and founding director at the Center of the American Experiment, having also served as its chair from 1996 through 98. She has also served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008, and before that was an opinion columnist for the paper for 17 years. She's been a guest multiple times on Education Nation and is a name that is recognized by the AM 1280 The Patriot audience. Catherine, thank you for joining us once again this evening. It's a pleasure. 
Yeah, it's great to have you here. And we hear your daughter's getting married in a week and a half. So we are so glad to know that uh, you are able to be with us. And congratulations on that. That's very exciting. Thank you. Yeah. So in your research, you discussed three premises concerning MDHR's race-focused discipline campaign. Um, and in number one, the teachers are, excuse me, the teachers, not the students, are to blame for the racial discipline gap. Would you please explain why this is a key assumption pushed by MDHR bureaucrats? Yes. Why do they assume that teachers are to blame mm-hmm. for these racial disparities in essentially suspension? Yes. Rates? As well, opposed to student uh, personal conduct. You know, they, yeah. They are in um, uh, kind of a, 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 they approach this from a, a, an ideological straitjacket, let's say. Uh, they, they simply cannot believe, despite all they have to say about diversity, that uh, when it comes to uh, student misconduct, there, there might, in fact, be real differences between students with widely different socioeconomic and family backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, this simply is not admissible in their mental universe. Uh, so they have to attribute uh, the, the racial differences in uh, in suspension rates to teachers uh, and, of course, Part of this is the whole ideology of victimhood, the, mm-hmm. the, the kind of grievance drumbeat that we see on the left. It's not possible that, from their point of view, that that you know, real differences can can account for the, the sort of disparities we see, and unless there's ill will, evil intent, mm-hmm. discriminatory action uh, to account for them. It's really a utopian worldview. It really is, and it ties back into a conversation that we briefly had last week with you know the progressive era leaning towards this notion that man is perfectible, and so uh-huh. you know if they see problems with kids, they can't imagine that it's that kids themselves, they're going to perfect the white people around them to try Try to make sure that the other kids, um, the the other kids are able to then behave. Yeah, <laughs> so that's exactly right. And what could be man. more racist, right. really? Right. I mean, to 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 believe that um, uh, certain kids are not moral agents at all, and not accountable at all for their behavior because of their skin color. Right. And the only people who's real, who really have agency in the world are white people. That's, you know, it's outrageous. Yeah, it is really outrageous. Well, in your research, you found on a national scale that white boys are actually suspended at more than twice the rate of Asian and Pacific Islander boys, which, of mm-hmm. course, uh, is something that these same people don't want to even talk about. Um, and then nationally, young black males between the ages of 14 and 17 commit homicide at 10 times the rate of whites and Hispanics of the same age. Right. And right. you point out that there are some real differences in group behavior, right? So right. according to that research you've conducted, what accounts for those group differences in behavior? Well, uh, you know, of course, this is a very complex matter, but uh it it goes back to the home. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think common sense as well as social science Mm -hmm. tells us that. uh, And in fact, a major study uh, in 2014 in the Journal of Criminal Justice uh, documented the fact that the roots of these kinds of differences is 
in the home. This was uh, analysis of the largest sample of school-aged children in the nation. Mm -hmm. And the authors found that teacher bias has absolutely no role to play in the racial discipline gap, uh, that it all goes back uh, to the, uh, the prior problem behavior of the student. They, they actually looked at past disciplinary, you know, mm-hmm. misbehavior on the part of, of students and discovered this. And there's other research that shows that these kinds of patterns are well established uh, by the, the age of five. Mm-hmm. So kids who come to school uh, already exhibit uh, the, these kinds of group differences, clearly not a matter of racial bias on the, on the part of teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Such an important distinction because that is not what we're hearing. The, the drumbeat that is out there is that it is about white privilege mm-hmm. and not about family structure and the breakdown of the family. And so it is really important that we have these conversations. And, you know, we talk a lot at Education Nation about ideas that we can agree on. And we can all agree that we really want to see every child have the same opportunity at an excellent education. But if we can't, and if we can't acknowledge the true uh, foundation of these differences, then we're not going to treat them properly as well. And then we're not going to, we're not going to help those kids in the way that they really need to be helped. Right. And, and you see this um, uh, when it comes to the matter of school choice with many um, low income minority families choosing uh, charter schools for their mm-hmm. kids, charter schools with uniforms and with, uh, with rules of, of behavior that are enforced because they, they know how tough it is in this cultural environment right. to raise right. uh, well-behaved kids. They're desperate. And the other thing that I, that I get frustrated about this, this notion that uh, the racial achievement gap is about white privilege is it completely then undermines the children of color who want to learn. You know, there's a lot of black kids in those classrooms that want to learn and they're not being given the equal opportunity to an excellent education as peers in different schools because they've got so many other kids in their classroom that are misbehaving. And then the way the district is handling that is to not discipline those kids in the way they need to be disciplined. So they're not setting them up for success, not the kids who are misbehaving and not the kids who are not misbehaving. I can't imagine how exhausting and frustrating that's got to be for the teachers that constantly have to bring correction in the classroom. I can't imagine. I'm so glad you mentioned that groundbreaking study, Catherine uh, J.P. Wright in the Journal of Criminal Justice. Mm -hmm. It's really important. Uh, I hope that some of our listeners will go and look at that study. Maybe we can post that on our Facebook page, Mark. I think that would be a good one for us to share with our listeners. We'll go ahead and find that for sure. And again, you're listening to Education Nation, where we are talking with Catherine Kirsten here on AM 1280. The Patriot, we are discussing the three premises concerning the Minnesota Department of Human Rights' race-focused discipline campaign. We've just discussed that first premise of teachers, not students, are to blame for the racial discipline gap. The second premise is that black students' higher suspension rates give rise to what's known as a school-to-prison pipeline. Catherine, would you please explain for our listeners the tenets of this premise and why that you feel it's false? Sure. You know, the, the idea is that when kids are not in school uh, because they are suspended, mm-hmm. um, they don't learn, and as a result, they, they don't perform as well academically, and as a result of that, 
somehow they fall into the criminal justice system. You know, mm-hmm. there that's a bit of a stretch there, but but mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the idea. That's that's the overall justification, mm-hmm. uh, claiming that you know we we to, to help to help struggling kids, we have to basically remove um, consequences for yes. misbehavior in the classroom. Right. right. So a means to an end in the sense of, of having all discipline removed so that nobody will end up in the criminal justice system. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you, Catherine, what's the real problem that is reducing chances for future success? Well, uh, again, I know all of this goes back to the home. I, I try to, I, I remember when my kids were in third grade, how hard we worked to teach them the multiplication table so they could move on to fourth grade. Well, you know, kids need support at home in order to, to, to learn to read and learn to do math. And, and in too many cases, there's great evidence there that, you know, that many poor minority kids are not getting it. But I think one factor that is simply overlooked uh, by the Minnesota the Human Rights Department when it comes to kids' absences from school, it, it, the major problem there is not suspensions. The ma- major problem there is um, chronic absenteeism. Right. right. And again, that's simply not mentioned by MDHR as a as a factor, and we find uh, massive disparities there uh, between uh, Native American black students on the one hand and white and Asian students on the other hand. Which once again goes back to family structure yep. and the social factors. And right. you know, if the kids aren't being brought to school, they're not being um, given the opportunity to get there, then. How can they learn? And and that is much more Who's there to of a lead. factor. Yep. Right, exactly. Well, the third premise that you talked about in your article with um, concerning MDHR's race-focused discipline campaign is that discipline policies that focus more on race than on a student's actual conduct somehow benefit poor and minority children. Can you explain for our listeners, Catherine, how race-based policies actually, actually harm children as opposed right. to helping them? Sure, and I think that that you um, alluded to this, uh, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's in, in the schools that have the biggest problem with uh, discipline and suspensions. Uh, the demographic of the student body is is more likely to be uh, low income and minority, mm-hmm. and it really is a, a small percentage of kids uh, in those kinds of schools who are truly misbehaving and ruining the environment for learning for everybody else. For example, right. as I recall, back in, uh, in St. Paul schools before uh, their disciplinary changes were made a few years ago, uh, it was something like 15% of black students who, who were suspended at least once in a year. Well, that means 85% of the black students yeah. were, were you know, not right. causing the kinds of problems right. that uh, presumably right. that led to that action. But those kids, uh, you know, my daughter's a teacher, and she can tell you that Two disrupted kids, even one in a classroom, can totally throw the teacher off. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when kids' behavior isn't controlled. Right, 
Right. And when the teachers aren't given the opportunity to actually do the, the what they need to do to bring them to under bring control. Bring back the order. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly, yes. So, Catherine, the research and reporting that you've done as it pertains to the state's investigations has been met with scathing criticism from Governor mm-hmm. Dayton's educational commissioner, as you well know, Brenda Casilius. Um, and her charges against you are serious, and they, they include calling your reporting unsubstantiated, full of falsehoods, divisive, hateful, misleading, reckless, and perhaps the worst of all, flat-out racist. And you also, I know, which is, I, you know, I have a hard time with this because I know what, how well you research things. Um, you also drew criticism from Julia Hill, a reading teacher in the St. Paul Public Schools, and Dana Bennis, the director of learning at an organization called the Institute for Democratic Education mm-hmm. in America. So they accuse you of making false uh, argument. But would can you discuss the three reasons they give for why they see your work as contemptible? And then, of course, we'll let you respond to you know, the facts that you've, that you've dug up? Well, uh, I, I think, you know, Caecilius is the, is the serious uh, critic mm-hmm. because uh, she happens to be the Minnesota uh, commissioner of education. Right. Uh, so her, her uh, criticism should be, uh, should be taken with some real weight. And what mm-hmm. was so striking uh, as I read it, in fact, I was I was just incredulous when I yeah. read her response in the Star Tribune, is that she essentially has one argument, which is that, as you said, Rebecca, I am a, quote, flat out racist. Mm-hmm. She provided no evidence whatsever for, for that. And, you know, that that is a, a really serious charge to to make mm-hmm. about someone and when you when you read into her piece you discover that her definition of a racist is somebody who disagrees with her yep. about school discipline policies mm-hmm. she went beyond that though mm-hmm. she attempted to bully the star tribune into stop uh printing my work Oh. She she said that they were giving my quote divisive and hateful words column inches and oxygen. Unbelievable! Uh, you know, that, silence that, the opposition. Right, exactly. Right, silence. Yeah. Call them names and silence the opposition. Uh, you know how unprofessional. Well, it, it's obviously you're so right. It's unprofessional, but but it's more than that. And I don't say this like this is this is truly un-American. Yeah, this, this has the flavor of authoritarianism mm-hmm. uh, hanging about it, and I it, it's such an embarrassment. I think for a public official mm-hmm. to to sling these kinds of charges around to attempt to silence without responding in any evidentiary way uh, a, a critic. Uh, you know, this is this is deeply troubling. Uh, mm-hmm. in fact, I found it deeply troubling that the Star Tribune would print such a thing because mm-hmm. it really does verge on on uh, an authoritarian kind of mm-hmm. mindset that has no place in America. Right. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Catherine, the race based policies the Minnesota Department of Human Rights is enforcing on Minnesota school districts has been shown to have a gloomy track record in other parts of the mm. country. Um, Hill and Bennis, as we uh, mentioned those two names earlier, they endorse a discipline policy based on restorative justice and peace circles. And this has actually been incorporated in another part of the country. Would you explain what these policies policies are, first of all? And as these were also incorporated in the public schools in Syracuse, New York, 
The results mm-hmm. were da- disastrous. Could you explain what happened after they were enforced back in 2014? Yes, in uh, in in Syracuse, um, very similar kind of, of story. In fact, one of the few where state uh, officials were the cause of, of imposition of these race-based policies. But there, uh, the New York Attorney General forced the Syracuse uh, public schools to reduce racial disparities. And uh, things just went south immediately in terms of school order. So uh, the following year, there was a survey done by the teachers union there, which uh, found that the district's teachers and staff members felt, uh, quote, helpless to to control students' behavior after this happened. Two-thirds of them said that they were worried about their safety, and 57% said said they had been threatened by students, 36% said they'd been physically assaulted, and that included being shoved, kicked, headbutted, choked, or bitten. And, of course, unbelievable, crude, uh, sexual, racist language. And also parents, they were very concerned about literally students' parents getting involved in this kind of abuse of teachers, Mm -hmm. doing things in the parking lot at the school, for example. So finally, in 2017, uh, there was a a double stabbing of a teacher and the county district attorney uh, called uh, for the reversal of the 2014 discipline policy changes. This is the kind of thing I outlined. Three years later, and it takes a double stabbing to get to that point. That's, yep. that's yep. insanity. I mean, this really all starts in the home, though. I mean, we know that for those of us who've had families, that as parents, if we restrict the discipline on kids, they're going to be emboldened to carry mm-hmm. out behavior and mm-hmm. actions mm-hmm. that are going to get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And, and we see it's this playing nature. out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah. and once again, it, kind of, it ties back to this idea that uh, progressives think that man is perfectible. Right. And that if we just have peace circles, we just talk about it that the kids are going to make the right decisions when in actuality yeah. they need to be taught the difference between right and wrong. Absolutely. What is, what is right. good behavior? What is bad behavior? I was just going to say, you're listening to Education Nation um, and we are talking with Catherine Kirsten this evening. Go ahead. And I didn't mean to interrupt well, you, Catherine. One, one interesting point there. I've read uh, research which, which makes it clear that these so-called peace circles can actually really uh, empower the bullies and the mm-hmm. students uh, who are engaged in misconduct because they are always involved in these. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they can exert their control uh, in these circles, and the kids who've been bullied and are already afraid of them right. um, can see their power. And actually, I mean, so those kids are even more uh, afraid and, and uh, insecure at school. I mean, again, if you don't understand human nature, that you don't get that, but right. it's it's obvious to people with common sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, Brenda Casilius argues that Minnesota parents and community members can access discipline data through a simple mm. search of the Minnesota Department of Education's data center. And she states that the department reports discipline data every year and summarizes them in a report to the legislature that civil rights groups like, say, the Solutions Not Suspensions Coalition are using to call attention to this racial discipline gap. Um, I will say this, Catherine, I looked at this website, and I'm sure you have as well, too. And if you remember, Mm -hmm. there's just pages of charts that give, like, the name of the school district, uh, the particular race, the percentage of students that are attending in that district of each race, and the percentages of, of, of people that have experienced a suspension. But what it doesn't give you is the intangibles. It doesn't show you, okay, how many times was Johnny warned 
to stop a particular action. Was it four times, five times, ten times before the suspension was levied? So when you examine those numbers, you don't have the intangibles to really put together the full thought of what's going on in these school districts. So my question is, um, you know, you know, were the other forms of discipline that were already tried before the decision to finally expel the student? I mean, we don't know. That's that's the problem here. Well, that's the whole thing about the, uh, the, the 2014 study, the prior problem behavior of the student, that, that it's not. But you're, you're right, Mark, but there's more, I think, confusion when it comes to that data. And the center is actually taking a beginning to take a look at the data now and finding that it's very hard to, sub, to, to separate these subjective and objective uh, uh, disciplinary yes. matters uh, with, with any clarity. It's also, uh, you, you take a school like um, Best Academy, a charter school that was included by the Department of Human Rights as, you know, being, you know, uh, out of line uh, in its discipline. We're, we're just beginning to look at this, but what you find is a school like that is almost 100% black students. What is going on? You know, it's not clear when you look at these. Why did they choose this school? Why did they avoid that school? Uh, right. And mm-hmm. another question that I ask mm-hmm. is, if if they're only looking at the so-called subjective infractions, like you know, talking loudly, uh, disruptive behavior, uh, they they're not telling you what the racial differences are on the objective, like the more violent uh, uh, infractions. Well, sure. if those differences are out of whack. Uh, racially, then why would you not expect it to be the case with subjective differences? But they don't reveal to you what those are. Mm-hmm. Or even even the subjective ones, such as talking loudly. You know, that does that talk about whether there was respect or disrespect in the tone of voice? You know, talking loudly is one thing, but talking loudly with a disrespectful tone and using disrespectful words is, is a really... Difficult matter that needs to be addressed in the classroom. So, um, I think even discounting subjective data doesn't seem appropriate, and that's what they're right. trying to do, um, or yep. that's what Brenda Casilius was trying to do when she she wrote back. So, you know, this particular website that we've been talking about that Brenda Casilius says we can go to, and that parents and community members can access. Um, you know, does it concern you? I mean, when you think about that, this is what she's going to point to. Does that concern you that that is kind of her answer as well? You can just all go look. And and what are your thoughts about that? Very much so. Very much so. And, and of course, keeping the names of the districts and the charter schools that were being investigated secret until the agreements uh, to change policies had been signed, Mm -hmm. uh, that, that again, is is not appropriate in a democracy. Parents should know if there's an investigation of their kid's school and why and on what basis are the authorities telling them that their teachers are racist, but they had no opportunity because this was kept utterly quiet. Mm. It's that transparency issue again. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Well, you know what? We only have just a minute left here, Catherine. Can you quickly tell us um, what steps Minnesota parents should take in order to know what the discipline policies are that are being implemented? And then if the racial discipline policies are present, like the MDHR wants them to be, what actions can parents take? Very, very quickly. We've got about 30 seconds. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you, you've got to be the squeaky wheel. You've got mm-hmm. to get to the school. You've got to document. You, you have to 
uh, pull information together and demand uh, fairness. Mm -hmm. And most people are intimidated. They don't want to do that when there's a question of race. But parents have to be advocates for their kids in that sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that is such good advice. If they do find that the racial discipline policies are present, can they go to the state? Can they complain to the district um, quickly? Can they do anything at all? Uh, well, it's hard to go to the state since mm-hmm. it's the Department of Education. That's true. That's true. They're the ones this, that are doing uh, it. Yeah. I'll tell you what they can do. There is a state law that's essentially supposed to make bullying, a, a zero tolerance for bullying. It's wholly mm-hmm. inconsistent with this new race-based focus. So they could very much look into the kind of ammunition they could get with that anti-bullying excellent. law. Excellent advice. That's excellent, Catherine. Well, we are so grateful to have you on the show again today, Catherine Kirsten. We look forward to having you with us again next time. And to our listeners, we hope you join us again next Saturday night, 6 p.m. for Education Nation. Check out our podcast at EdNationMN. Thank you so much. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.